A very good morning to all of you. Once again, we thank God for this privileged time to study God's Word. Can I invite all of us to bow our heads together, even as we prepare to go to God in prayer, to ask Him to lead us and to guide us. Let's quieten ourselves for this, at this moment. Father, we thank you for this morning, for this new day that you have called us into your presence. We thank you, Father, that uh, you allow us this time to first of all worship you. And at this moment, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of studying your word. We pray, Father, this morning that you guide our thoughts, give us enlightenment, you give us illumination from your Holy Spirit so that we can understand your word and how it applies to our lives, so that we can be the church of Jesus Christ that transforms lives with the gospel and love of Jesus Christ, a disciple-making church. For we ask all this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. A very good morning to all of you. Now, uh, one of the things I want to encourage all of us is that uh, we will continue to study God's Word and beginning right now, we are looking at the book of Philippians. Now, there are some changes in the, uh, in the sermon this morning because of the... Uh, Pastor uh, is unwell, and I'm still going to preach on Philippians chapter 1, but we will preach from verse 1 to verse 8, because verse 9 to 11 talks more about Paul's prayer, the elements of his prayer. All right, so do take note, in other words, the outline will be different for today, but the text is the same. Now, people today are consumed by the passionate pursuit of happiness. Most people define happiness as an attitude, an attitude of satisfaction or delight, Okay? Entity of delight, based on positive circumstances largely beyond our control. Happiness, therefore, cannot be planned or programmed, much less guaranteed, because this is based on circumstances beyond our control. Now, happiness is experienced only if and when the circumstances are favorable. Self-help books, motivational speakers, and mentoring gurus claim to offer the key to happiness. But for many people, the door remains locked. Unable to control their circumstances, those who are searching for happiness find themselves under the control instead of their circumstances. When their job, relationships, or possessions fail to make them happy, they abandon it and search for a new one. But the happiness they are looking for fail to materialize, and if, and if it did, it lasts only for a short while before the person finds that he or she is unhappy once again. Now, why? Why is it this way? Because it is human nature that we cannot be satisfied with external things or circumstances. Having fruitlessly pursued happiness through pleasure, for example, and self-gratification, people arrived at a jaded view of life, expressed most Finally, by the writer in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, the preacher says, Vanity of vanities, all is vanities. Contrast with happiness, which is a feeling of exhilaration. All right, happiness, a feeling of exhilaration, which is fleeting, which is temporal, which is elusive. Contrast that with joy, the subject of today's sermon. Now, joy, joy is not like happiness. Joy, from a biblical understanding, is a settled conviction. It's a settled conviction that God sovereignly controls the events of life. 
for the believer's good and for God's glory. Joy is available to everyone who obeys God. Spiritual joy is not an attitude that is dependent on circumstances or chances. It is the deep and abiding confidence that regardless of your circumstances, all is well between you and God. So no matter what difficulty, what pain, what disappointment, failure, rejection, or any other challenges that you are facing, genuine joy remains because of the eternal well-being established by God's grace in salvation. Scripture makes it very clear that the fullest, the most fullest and most lasting and satisfying joy is derived from a true relationship with God. In fact, we know that the Bible commands us, reminds us to rejoice. In the book of Philippians itself, it was mentioned at least 12 times. The divine joy is a theme of Philippians. Philippians, The Greek word for joy in both its noun and verb appears more than 12 times within four chapters. Philippians altogether has four chapters. Now, they say that a writer's mood, a writer's mood or feelings changes and affects his penmanship. The underlying mood of the writer determines the tone of his writing. And so, for example, so for example, if you are writing a letter or email or WhatsApp and you are experiencing strong emotional circumstances, the tendency of what you write will reflect what you are feeling. In other words, you will express what you feel into words as a form of release. Whether you use emoticons or not, it expresses in your message. That's why people will advise you that if you want to write a message to someone, you choose the right timing and circumstances so that you will not be affected or influenced by our situation. They ask you to select the right timing, the best timing possible. Now, the same principle applies not only to the, to the, to the originator or the giver of the message, but to the recipients as well, those who are receiving the message. Generally, if you are happy, perhaps you have been given a raise or a promotion and a substantial one, chances are that you will be least affected you'll be least affected by any negative meal coming your way if you have been married to a person that you have been wooing all your life and finally the person agrees to the elusive wedding proposal all news is good news okay, all news is good news until after the wedding celebration when you have to pay the bills all news is good news or if you have become the proud parents of a newborn baby, whom you have been praying and planning to have over many years. And finally, finally, the beautiful and healthy baby arrives. Your elation knows no bounds. And whatever negative news that comes your way is quickly overwhelmed by the good news and celebration at your home, isn't it? So whether the originator of or the recipient, the message is conveyed and received positively when the circumstances are favorable. You can therefore conclude that the writer of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, is writing under favorable circumstances. And the recipients of the letter, the believers in Philippi, are experiencing happy days. You will conclude that way, isn't it? But actually, my friends, the circumstances of both the writer, Paul, and the recipients, the believers in Philippi, were not those that would be expected to produce joy and happiness. Let's look at the background. Start with the writer. His name is Paul. When Paul wrote the letter to the believers in Philippi, he was a prisoner in Rome. Since his conversion on the road to Damascus three decades earlier, his journey of faith is not for the faint-hearted. 
Paul faced fierce and unrelenting opposition, both from the Gentiles, that means not those who are not from the Jewish faith, and from his unbelieving Jewish community. His proclamation of the gospel aroused the anger of the Jewish population in Damascus and they sought to kill him. And he was forced to flee the city by being lowered from the city wall at night in a basket. You find this in Acts chapter, chapter 8, chapter 9. A short while later, he was forced to flee from Iconium. This is Iconium. He was forced to flee from Iconium. Then when he was in Lystra, then he, when he was in Lystra, he was pelted with stone. The people stoned him and he was left for dead. In Philippi, in Philippi, he was beaten and thrown into jail, Acts chapter 16. Upon his release, he traveled to Thessalonica. Yeah, Thessalonica. But within three weeks, within, within three weeks, he was forced to flee from Thessalonica after his preaching touched off and sparked a riot. He went on from Thessalonica to Berea. Berea. Again, he was mocked. And he was forced to flee. He arrived at Athens, Greece. He arrived at Baptist Church. It's called Grace Baptist Family. This is not a church, this is a family. I thank God for the elders' encouragement. The Holy Spirit prompts believers to appreciate others' love, generosity, and compassion, and to leave the rest of the rough ages into God's hands. We appreciate one another. We thank God for all of you coming here to worship God, to be able to offer our thanksgiving unto the Lord, to be able to study God's Word together. There are rough edges. Many of us have, including myself, I'm the first to, to confess before you, I have many. But we leave the rough edges to God in this perfect timing. So on the other hand, a person who constantly focuses on the negatives, the faults, and the shortcomings of others is a person not controlled by the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, a cynical spirit, holding grudges. These are works of the flesh, not of the spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Someone who is cynical, someone who is holding grudges, these are not fruit of the spirit. But never mind, because the person is also progressing. We are all works in progress. Remembrance. The second element is intercession, verse 4. Those who are obedient to the Holy Spirit will delight in the privilege of intercessory prayer. I mentioned just now, this is more than ob an obligation. It is a joy to pray for fellow believers. Faithful and sincere intercession are more preoccupied with the needs and, well and welfare of others than your own. Asking God to pour out His divine blessing on fellow believers. As we will find out later in, in the passage, in verses 12 to 21, which we will talk about some other time, Paul was at this time experiencing some of the most difficult and painful moments in his ministry. Verses 12 to 21, which we won't be talking today. Not only was Paul in prison, but even more painful, even more hurting, was that he was being falsely accused. He was being falsely accused by fellow teachers and preachers. Can you imagine that? Fellow, past, fellow preachers and teachers who intended to cause Paul distress in his imprisonment. In verse 17, Paul was falsely accused. He was hurt by fellow believers in Christ, preachers and teachers. 
But Paul's prayer was offered with great appreciation, great thankfulness and joy. Neither the unbelieving false teachers nor squabbling believers such as Eodia and Syntyche in Philippians 4 could rob Paul of his joyful remembrance of these believers in Philippi. Remember, focus on what God has given to all of us. We thank God for all of you. Second element is intercession. The third element is of divine joy is fellowship. Verse 5. The Greek word koinonia, participation, has the root word of sharing something in common. Sharing something in common. It is used in several places. It is used in several places of, of sharing possessions, sharing money. All right, this is koinonia, sharing something in common. Using the verb form, the verb form, Paul teaches that faithful believers should practice contributing to the needs of the saints. Romans 12 verse 13. And the adjective form in 1 Timothy 6 is rendered ready to share. Okay? We ought to share. We must be ready to share. Now, what is this participation, participation all about? This sharing together, pooling our resources, coming together of our time, talent and treasure. What is this participation all about? Verse 5, because of your participation, or partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, this koinonia, partnership, Paul rejoiced that the Philippians were saved and were partnering him in the advancement of the gospel. Alright. Divine joy, fellowship, together, advance the gospel. Their participation included their generous financial support of Paul and the ministry. Bear in mind that the Philippians, the church in Philippi was not a rich church. It was a poor church. But the partnership, they partnered with Paul in his ministry to advance the gospel by giving some money to support his work. So fellowship includes cooperation in the preaching of the good news of salvation to those who have never heard it. In this context, the phrase in the gospel refers to the whole enterprise of gospel ministry, especially that of evangelism. Would GBC become more well-balanced and well-spread out in reaching out to the lost? Some are called to be evangelists, that's for sure. Some are called, Billy Graham for example, some are called to be evangelists, but all are called to evangelize. So the first three elements, remembrance, intercession, and partnership. Let's move on. The fourth element is confidence. Verse 6, I am sure of this. Paul's confidence is much more than human hope. It was absolute confidence that comes from knowing and believing God's promise that God who began a good work were perfected until the day of Christ Jesus. We sang some of the hymns just now. We thank God for those uplifting hymns reminding us again of salvation. Salvation is holy God's work and for that reason, its completion is as certain as if it were already accomplished. Salvation is God's work. Although a believer living in unrepentant sin, and there are many believers living in unrepentant sin, Although an unbeliever may live in repent, unrepentance may be delivered temporarily to Satan for discipline. His spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So an unrepentant believer, sometimes God passes the person to Satan for discipline, but the person will be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is a time of perfection and glorification. When the glorious manifestation of the people of God, the children of God, will finally come, Romans chapter 8. When God saves, He saves completely and eternally. He saves completely and eternally. In promissory covenant terms, to be justified 
is to be sanctified and glorified. It's not just salvation, but you still know process. We will depend on how you perform. No, in promissory covenantal terms, to be justified is to be sanctified and glorified. There is no such thing as experiencing one of these aspects without the other two. For God to begin salvation in a person's life is an irrevocable guarantee of God's completing it on His own. God is not like man. Men conduct experiments, but God carries out a plan. God never does anything by halves. It is easy for believers to become discouraged when we focus on our problems and imperfections, as well as those of other believers sitting beside us, left and right. Now, those sins should not be ignored or minimized, but neither should they be allowed to overshadow the marvelous reality of the future perfection of the church and of every believer, as God's word guarantees in Philippians 1.6. God has no unfinished works. The God who saves is the God who justifies, sanctifies and glorifies. The God who begins is the God who completes. Let's move on to the final element. The last element. Affection. Verses 7 to 8. Paul attests of his love for the Philippians with the affection of Jesus Christ. All of the believers at Philippi were, objects, were the objects of Paul's great affection. All. Not only some. Not those likable ones. Those unlikable ones, I will, I will bypass them. No. All of the believers at Philippi were the objects of Paul's great affection. And Paul uses a very strong word, an affection so deep as to reflect the love of Jesus Christ himself. This is too high for me, honestly speaking. How many of us can say we love as a love of Jesus Christ? We are commanded to do that, but it's very tough. It's very difficult. But here is Paul. He says, I yearn for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. I preach at the Myanmar Fellowship every first Sunday of the month. At, four, uh, at 2 o'clock in this church, 2 to 4. Without fail, every time I attend the, their worship, they sang this chorus, Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. They always sing this song, Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. And as they sing this song, they got up from where they are seated and they move around the pews and welcome one another with a warm handshake. You can feel the warm and affection. Even I, as a foreigner, I, I think I'm the only one, me and my wife, the only Singaporeans here. But these are the Miami's. Christian believers in Christ, they love one another. I think that's the closest I can see the affection of Jesus Christ. And I pray that our, our congregation, our English congregation, as well as our Chinese congregation, will move towards that. We are participants of the divine joy. Point number one. When we come together as a church, there are several elements that characterize this divine joy. Point number two. A church is a gathering of believers we are not to be concerned only for our own well-being. But we are to watch out for one another. We are to remember how God brings people together into this church. Today is the fourth day of Chinese New Year. You have something else better to do, I'm sure. But God brings all of us here. We want to be thankful. We want to thank God for bringing me here. I want to thank God for bringing you here. So remember how God brings people together into this church. Second element, we intercede for one another. This is not the purview of the leaders only. I pray that this will be also the purview of everyone. Not just leaders in any form, care group leaders, ministry leaders, Sunday school teacher, elders, deacons, pastors. But it should be the purview of every member in the church. 
intercede for one another, to know that the person is in dire need of prayer. The next element, fellowship. The partnership of advancing the gospel and not leaving such an important role to a select few, but all of us, young and old, men and women, partnership with God, koinonia, with God and with one another for the gospel. The next element, we have the fullest confidence that God is in control, not you and I. God is in control. And we can leave everything to God's watchful eye. God's watchful eye and His, His invisible hand to straighten things out according to His timing, according to His will. Finally, the element of affection. Our response is to love one another despite the many faults and imperfections. There are many. And availing ourselves to be used by God to help one another to grow in Christ-likeness. How would God want us to live as people who have been radically transformed by the gospel? I have tried to, I have tried to help you understand this important point. That is, Christians ought to radiate joy and it begins in the church. That is our starting point. This is how God wants us to live as people who have been radically transformed. Christians of all people ought to radiate this joy. In the way we talk, in the way we act, in the way we perform our work tomorrow back at our marketplace or in schools, the starting point is the church. If we cannot be genuinely filled with divine joy and sharing this divine joy with one another, how can we leave these four walls later on and go out into the world to transform lives? If we cannot even practice here and leave it out here, how can we even imagine that we can transform lives outside the four walls of this church? Proclaiming the gospel involves the verbal. We speak. We proclaim the gospel that is verbal. As well as the visual, we live out the gospel. So I want to encourage all of us to think carefully as we come towards the conclusion of the sermon. Start by evaluating yourself how you fare as the body of Christ. Is joy the hallmark of this church? Grace Baptist Church, or is it absent and replaced with cynicism, critical spirit, pointing out what was wrong, rather than God, help us to make right, help us to go together, help us to move ahead. Paul writes to the Philippians Christian, reminding them and all of us this morning, what a great joy we ought to find in the inner recesses of our lives, independent, independent of the external circumstances, but dependent on Jesus Christ. That is the key thing. Independent of outside circumstances, but dependent on Jesus Christ. Participants of divine joy. Some of you are called to be leaders serving. Some of you are called to be saints, to be members following. For those who are in leadership, we convey joy in our leading and this is not easy. This is not easy. For those who are members of the church, in following the direction set by God through the leaders, it causes our submission equally difficult. Equally difficult. Elements, the elements that we display a life of joy, individually and corporately. Whenever I come to this point, I say it is difficult. 
Then we start to unwind ourselves. Yes, it's easy for you to say. Yes, it's easy for me to say. Yes, it is difficult. But we can do it. We can make it in the strength of Christ, in the strength of God. But we come to the point where we say, oh yes, this is a good sermon, this is a good point, but we can't do it. Then we miss the whole point, isn't it? And Satan will be very happy. But when we learn something, we ask God, how can we make it happen through His grace, through His strength? Application. We talked about joy this morning. It is appropriate, isn't it? After all, this is Chinese New Year, huh? Chinese New Year for those uh, Chinese uh, uh, members of the church, as in Chinese. We have two, two, Chinese, uh, two New Year to celebrate. One is January the 1st, where we say we greet each other in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for this New Year Day. And for the rest of us who are Chinese, as well as non-Chinese, I believe, we also greet one another uh, Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year. We have two greetings for one another. Uh, we talk about joy. It is appropriate. Very timely. We want to be joyful people in our visitation or in the opening of our homes to receive visitors. Now the question is, is this. How do others see believers of Jesus Christ? When they come to your house, what do they see in your expression, in your behavior? Yes, your house is thick and spent, sparkling new. The, the drinks, the food are all there. But do they see real joy? Or they see some, uh, some dissonance in your life, something that is unresolved? You ought to radiate. You ought to radiate joy. Now, do, what do they see? Now, more important, how does God see us? How does God see us? Does God see real joy in our lives? We are coming into the Lenten season. All right? Ash Wednesday was last week, uh, this past week, and now we are coming into the Lenten season. Yes, we are, we are preparing ourselves to the climax at Easter, Easter Sunday, right? April the 5th. All right? But how, how does God see us? Do God see, does God see in us lives that are, that are devoid of joy? Can you imagine how God feels? He gave His one and only Son to die for us on the cross to redeem us in exchange for our lives. Christ has to die for us. And what is our response? Joy and gratitude. Nothing else. Nothing less. So I want to invite all of us in the time of application to to rise and join with me in a prayer of confession and commitment. Can I ask all of us to rise together? We want to go to God in a time of prayer, commitment and confession. Let's bow our heads together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of eternal life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross in exchange of our pardon. We are people most in need of a fresh injection of renewed vision of who you are. You are the God who has redeemed us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and we stand before you justified, being sanctified daily and one day glorified in heaven. Help us to see ourselves and to see one another as you see us. We are people in need of forgiveness daily so that we can live in divine joy daily. Help us to see how we can help one another grow in Christ-likeness to be transformed by the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. We want to grow and be more and more Christ-like. And we know that sometimes our lives are robbed of joy because we fail to love you with all our heart, soul, strength and mind. Or more often than not, our lives are robbed of the divine joy because we fail to love one another and have forgotten that we ought to partner one another to advance the gospel. We pray, Father, that even as we continue to study the book of Philippians. We pray, Father, that you will allow us to learn from Paul and from the believers in Philippi 
how we, Grace Baptist Church, the Grace Baptist family, can be a disciple-making church that transforms life with the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.